0: This episode is brought to you by Simply. Simply by Frito-Lay snacks have ingredients to feel good about with no artificial flavors or colors. So you can snack a little smarter this year without giving up your favorite snacks. Reveal what else you're never going to give up in 2022 for a chance to win $1,000. Official rules at NeverGonnaGiveItUp.com. No purchase necessary. Enter by February 27th, 2022. 17 plus, 50 U.S., D.C., and P.R.
1: intimacy is real (laughs) yes (laughs) hi good afternoon dr kelly how are you doing i'm doing well i you know what i did today what did you do today
2: i did canning you know when you put like you cut up your vegetables
1: and then you steam them in a pot and yeah yes i remember doing that when i was little with my grandma in charleston south carolina i missed that Uh, yeah we used to pick the peas and, and pick stuff and then through the process of canning
2: oh yeah my my niece's name neighbor gave us the tomatoes so I was like hey I'm all
1: to it and it's a process yes yes but it's so healthy you know what I'm saying that touch of being back and eating real
2: food oh versus- absolutely this is some real food I mean I picked them off the vine
1: and I mm. have twelve quarts of stewed tomatoes yes yes good you know I the know last time i Yeah, the last time I had some really good, like, real authentic food was in Costa Rica when I recently went there. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, I bet. Yes, yes, yes. Costa Rica. Yes, Yes, definitely. And you're, I mean, Costa Rica, everything's so natural and authentic and the people and the culture, which is what we're talking about today. Cultural intimacy, yes, yes, from around the world, definitely. However, before we get started into that, I want to um, let everyone know uh, about my third um, ebook that's coming out, and it's kind of somewhat what we're talking about today, which is improving intimacy but everyday expressions. Because even with culture, it's everyday. You oh, know, it's yeah. yes, especially in our society.
2: I mean, there's some places in this world where it's like 1% of a different culture or 2% mm-hmm. of
1: the
2: most part. I mean, especially where you live in Southwest Florida. I'm not, I don't know where our guest Michael O'Brien is from, but it, it
1: touches our lives in so many different ways. So it's important. Right, right. And especially as we come upon um, this upcoming weekend of September 11th, I think culture is very important in understanding and being respectful of yes. different cultures, yes. So before we get into Michael, Michael's a great person. i want going to introduce him in a moment. But I also want to let our audience know about our charity of the month, which is Our Mother's Home. It's an organization that I worked with this summer that helps young teen moms. So if you're interested in that, please go to www.ourmothershome.net. Well, now let me welcome a good friend of mine, a colleague, someone that um, I've gotten to know, Michael O'Brien, welcome Michael.
3: Thank you, it's nice to be here, yeah.
1: Yes, yes. So Michael is actually a sociologist by trait and a therapist who's been around um, different cultures and stuff with over 20 years of experience. Michael is also a professor and he's worked as a professor in Chicago here in Florida at FIU. And now congratulations, Michael, for FGCU.
3: Thanks. Yeah, I'm doing um, constructing online courses for them.
1: Yes, definitely. And Michael's in our local neck of the woods, Dr. Kelly. I'm in Naples. Oh, really?
3: Yeah. I'm in South Florida, too. Beautiful, sunny South Florida, I might add.
1: <laughs> and Michael and I, um, we talked to had a conversation almost about over a year ago, maybe two years ago. hmm about culture and how that impacts, especially where we live in Southwest Florida. So yes, so welcome, Michael, to the show.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, and as the two of you were talking, um, all those different ways in which we do everyday things, and I like what you said, Dr. April, about the fact that it's in the everyday things and the small things, because that's absolutely what the sort of cultural anthropologists believe, right? It's the little things we do. It's the way we eat, the way we don't eat. And intimacy is a great example of seeing how different cultures do things differently, right? Just how we interact, how we hug, how we greet each other, right? What is okay and not okay. So it's a very interesting topic for me personally, as well as professionally.
1: Yes, so Michael, we start off by asking each guest, how do you define intimacy?
3: So I was thinking about that and I looked at a few different definitions you have for today. Um, for me, it's a feeling. OK, so, you know, and given what we do professionally, right, um, we're, we're talking a lot about feelings. It's about a feeling of warmth. It's about so just hearing the word conjures for me personally a feeling. It's about closeness. It's about warmth. It's about connection, um, some of which is private. So I'm going to stick with intimacy is about connection and warmth. That, that's my personal definition of how it feels for me.
1: Right. Definitely. And like I said, I, I don't know if you remember that conversation. We, maybe it's been two, two years now. Going
3: on two we, years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you and I traveled together mm-hmm. and we were talking about um, culture and how that impacts, because each of us have been impacted by culture. And before we even get to culture, um, from a sociologist, can you define what culture is?
3: So culture is, is a really all encompassing definition. Um, And it means the entire life ways of of a particular group. So what that means is it's the way we do everything and the way we even approach things. And group can mean anything because we go in and out of groups, right? So, and that's what got me thinking when you were first talking about this show, the idea that there's sort of a U.S. culture, right? There's something we consider U.S. culture. There's norms we have in the culture, how we greet each other, how we interact, but then also within any place, there are many, many groups, what we would call subcultures, right? This is the sociological term subculture. So, you know, friends could be a subculture, a club you belong to. Um, the way we interact professionally with clients is very different, has a certain set of ethical standards and guidelines that differs from our personal life. So, it's the entire life ways of a given group. And that includes the norms, the values, the interactions, and even just how we approach um, what we do.
2: That's concise. I like it. A lot of times, people neglect to talk about the subcultures.
3: Yeah, and and that's the thing. Um, you know, there's always this dominant, and I'm going to throw out a couple of these sociological. There's this dominant sub, this dominant culture, right? In any country, in any group. In other words, the dominant way things are done, the main way. So we go to a job interview in U.S. culture. There, we're probably already conjuring certain images. We're looking at someone straight in the eye. We're a firm handshake. All those sort of things. But within any group, there are subgroups, and we go in and out of the subgroups, right? So there's not just one sort of okay way of doing things. There's multiple ways within each of the groups that we connect with. So we go to a job interview, we're dressed and acting a certain way. When we meet our friends later, we're probably acting and looking a different way, right? That's an example of subculture.
1: Yeah, I like how you said there's different ways to do things. Yeah, Uh, and for some people, um, they have a hard time with that. Especially in today's culture, that if you don't do things my way.
3: That's right. And, and you know, I think that's where, on a societal level, we get into trouble because people, I think, I think some people just don't even know what we're talking about right now the fact that there are differences, different norms. And I think specifically of that friend greeting. Um, I was introduced to some of these differences very early on, probably unusually early on because I'm Mexican American. And we would go visit family, you know, as a baby and as a small child. And literally the way we would greet each other would be different than I would greet my American family, which is more of that firm handshake and a hello. Um, We always would like sort of embrace each other. Right. And if you go to uh, a barbershop, a black owned barbershop, a Hispanic barbershop, you'll notice this as well. There's a lot more touching than there is in any of the American barbershops that I've gone to in my life. So you'll see much more, you know, sort of hand clenching as opposed to, uh, you know, a regular sort of European-style handshake, more embracing, things like that. So we really start to see those differences once we open our eyes to them. And I think that's, that's a good point that you just made. We have to be attuned to the fact that there are these differences in order to be able to see them. What do you think about that?
2: I, I liked when you explained about the norms when you talk about the word norms and even within today's culture and today's society, it's changing. Mm -hmm. Whereas we used to hug more. And I'm wondering about the cultural intimacy and how it's being impacted in society with, with the pandemic, because people aren't hugging and I'm, I actually uh, I'm lecturing in the classroom now and we have to wear masks. And some of the, the illustrations that I use, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And I wait, Oh wait, we can't do that. My whole entire lectures, and I know as a professor, you can relate to this, both of you educators. It's like the norms are changing. How do
3: do you feel about that? Like how comfortable are you? Oh, it's so awkward. Yeah. It's
2: so, it's like it doesn't resonate with me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. where do I belong? I mean, I'm the professor. I should be able to communicate this. But so much of my uh, communication has relied on hands-on learning. So if we translate that to what the norm is in cultural intimacy now and how we interact with people, whether in a barbershop or somewhere else.
3: Well, I think, and I think of it in practice too. Um, You know, the first couple months of when I returned to the office and maybe Dr. Abel can speak to this point too. um, It was tough for me not to shake hands. It took several months. You know, I would You know, I had a a way of of doing this. This is, you know, sort of a subcultural thing. I would shake hands with the person, offer them water or coffee or something. Well, all of a sudden, you know, in the midst of COVID, I'm not offering them to hand them a cup of coffee, nor am I shaking their hand. So I found myself on autopilot often, right? Because once we do these things, it gets ingrained into our neural pathways and all that. So I would start to like awkwardly reach out and they would, and then I would be like, whoa, we're not supposed to do that. (laughs) And so, you know, and even that felt like at least it was the level of closeness when I would shake somebody's hand and then like welcome them in. But now, like you say, we're having to keep a distance. And it feels it feels awkward at the very least
2: so what are we what are we left with, right? We're left with communicating with words and with our eyes. And in some cultures, um eye contact is considered invasive.
3: Absolutely. One of the, one of my closest friends in my PhD program um, is Japanese. And and so he came from Japan to do his PhD at FIU. And we had a lot of interesting conversations about this, you can imagine, because of the differences, like we got to sit and talk about the fact that, you know, how in US culture, we're a little more confrontational, we might not think we are. But yeah, yeah, we'll go, we are, we'll go stand up to the other person, literally, and like, look them right in the eye, right. And you know, possibly even be a little close, especially we saw this a lot with confrontations with COVID. In his culture, he said to me, his exact words were that you you just don't see that. You know, especially in the context of like uh, respect for a professor or a doctor or someone, you keep a greater distance between the people. You're not, you know, sort of looking them in the eye like that. You're so big differences. And if you didn't know that it would appear, it could appear. And he's told me that at times people thought maybe he was standoffish or something like that, but it's just his normal, just like it was my normal to, you know, sort of walk up to the person and, you know, (laughs) stick my hand out for for them to shake. Just different.
1: Right. Definitely. And like you said, sometimes we don't know the norm and we can do something that can be disrespectful, So how do we, as we're, um, as a community coming together, meeting with different people, there's masses. How do we figure out what what do we do in all this? Well, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. I want you to think about that and give us some answers. And we'll be back in a moment.
0: Are you wanting a vacation in paradise? A vacation to rekindle the passion. A vacation without the kids. A vacation where you can how to communicate where you and your partner actually hear each other and gain insight if so vacation counseling is your next vacation dr april brown has created vacation counseling in southwest florida as a perfect option for you and your partner our retreats are one couple at a time we have a variety of packages available to choose from including virtual couples retreats if you and your partner are interested in the vacation counseling Please visit us at vacationcounseling.com for more information on pricing and packages. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. To keep track of the latest news, stories, activities, or coupons on vacation counseling and Dr. April's other services, we encourage you to sign up to receive a monthly newsletter called Intimate Connections at draprilbrown.com. Remember, if you and your partner are struggling with communication and intimacy, and you all are looking for a retreat to connect, Vacation counseling can be your next vacation in Southwest Florida.
1: Welcome back to the Bringing Intimacy Show, where intimacy is real. So, Michael, we were just talking about and with Dr. Kelly about um, different norms and culture and how do we connect and what is respectful and not respectful how do we figure all this out
3: well i think on the one hand considering the fact that there are so many different ways in so many groups and the idea that we go in and out of these groups in any any given day right so for those of us and i know dr april is i'm sure dr kelly you're tuned to it as well um when we go in and out of these groups we're aware of those differences right so I think I think I think there's sort of some groups in America who who may be in, in all countries as well, but who aren't as open to seeing these differences. OK, and we don't have to like it or dislike it. So I want to kind of put that judgment on reserve, but just sort of accepting the reality that these differences are there, I think, are a big step. My suggestion is to sort of take a breath when we're in these situations. Literally, as as you know, um, mindfulness is one of my mainstays of my uh, therapeutic interventions. So taking a breath, observing what's around us. We have to have a willingness to see what the other other groups are doing. Um, And I have an example. When I moved, um, I'm born and raised in Chicago. Okay, so Chicago is the city of big shoulders, right? Um, People get things done. It's a very pragmatic city. Settled by, you know, um, well, it was settled by indigenous people. And then German farmers came and settled um, the areas around Chicago and in Chicago. So it's a very sort of direct handshake. Maybe a hug is how you would greet somebody normally, that sort of thing. So when I moved to Miami, um, I started getting uncomfortable right off the bat because everybody does this little sort of cheek-to-cheek kissing in the air, right? And and when I say everybody, it really is pretty much everybody.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like the two kisses or three kisses. Some countries are three kisses. Right. Intimate too. Yes.
3: And for me personally, from where I come from, that's kind of intimate. It's a little too intimate for me to just first meet somebody or I met them once and to be kissing them. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I did everything I could to resist. I mean, literally putting physical barriers at times. Like, I'd stand behind a chair and, like, wave. So, I did, yeah.
1: You don't like kissing strangers, Michael?
3: (laughs) Even hearing that makes me just a slight bit uncomfortable. (laughs) Not really. I said, you know, stop my norm. My norm is that firm handshake or a Chicago hug. And then you move on with whatever you're doing. But so, I literally would, like, stand behind something to see what would happen, right? Because I'm this budding sociologist and I'm going to figure this out with testing. And, um, it didn't stop people. People anyways would go, Oh, knock that out. You know, come over here and kiss me. So I did eventually incorporate that. I, I did, I, you know, sort of took a breath and said, okay, what am I going to do here? Am I going to spend the rest of my life, you know, hiding behind appliances or am I going to find a way to meet these people where they're at and blend it into how I do it. And so, um, but I think there was a valuable lesson there that even for somebody who's aware of these issues can be made to feel uncomfortable. So I empathize with people and their potential feelings of discomfort. And I think that's where that's where we you know, have common ground. I think that's the issue in, in the U.S. I think people get uncomfortable with other people's differences. I don't think it's as much they don't like it. It's just the discomfort. May I ask
2: you a question?
3: Sure.
2: When uh, they were like surprised, did anybody say, well, I thought you were Mexican-American? Like, did they infer that, hey, you should be comfortable. Aren't you Mexican?
3: Yeah, and that's funny too, because when we would visit my family, um, they did it that way as well, my family there. So now, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm starting to notice all these different, there isn't just one way of being even for me. But I did get some of that because it was like, well, how come you're not doing it too? You know, because for them, it's not intimate for them. It's the equivalent of my handshake. Um, But then sort of fast forward. And when I would go back to Chicago, I did eventually start doing that automatically. And this is absolutely a true story. I remember uh, neighbors, a good friend of my mom's neighbors of ours, uh, where I grew up and I went to kiss her on the cheek and she was very taken aback, you know? And again, I was hit in the face by this realization about these differences and just how ingrained it is for all of us to have these differences, right? And to and to react to them. But yes, now I can now now I'm much more attuned to these different ways and I'm sort of I take a breath and, you know, how's this person doing it? But you know, it's handshakes, it's hugs, it's kisses. That's intimacy for me. It's intimate to to for have to have that skin contact to kiss not intimate to me to shake hands. Whereas for my Japanese friend, there's even a level of intimacy if you get into their physical space, right? They're standing a little further apart. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's not to infer, you know, for those of you that are listening, it's not to infer that this person is not a warm person. It's just that people have even different personal spaces. Right. So for our listeners, I want to tell you, if you want to call in and ask Michael or Dr. April or myself a question, you can call in at one 627 6008
1: Yes. And so, Micah, I was just thinking as we were talking about kissing and handshaking and touches with this pandemic, it's brought almost also another type of culture that there is no really sometimes skin to skin contact. And there's some of us who maybe haven't been touched and or kissed or no skin contact. In a very long
2: time, I might add, perhaps hypothetically.
1: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. So from a sociologist's point of view, what is that doing to us as humans in the world?
3: Yeah, I mean, so I'm thinking of clients I've even had this week. So I think people are still at the local level, at the grassroots, what I call the grassroots level. I think a lot of them are still, you know, doing things that are sort of prohibited. So like the hookup culture with younger folks. Um, Yeah, I've had a couple younger clients this week that, are on websites. Um, one is on Grinder, right? Um, he's, he happens to be gay, so.
1: Right, but doesn't mean that they grind, you know that.
3: <laughs> right, and it doesn't mean that they're intimate by everybody's definition. It might be a little bit more, you know, less yeah. intimate yes. encounter that might, you know. Yes. But, um, so I think, so therein lies the difference of the definitions, right? So on a, on a, on a larger cultural level, Right. We have these norms. We're not supposed to be doing certain kinds of things. So in our you know, in practice, I'm elbow bumping or I'm not even touching at all. But I think maybe behind closed doors, maybe people are still doing some of these things. Um, I don't think it's good in the end to have too much space between us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's certain physical, biological, chemical things that we get from interacting with other people closely. Um Besides just a sense of closeness, certain things from skin contact, like you said, certain positive things, um, even from orgasm and some other things, right, that, that right. we don't get, right? So it definitely affected people. And I saw a rush of couples clients af- right after the pandemic. I don't know, Dr. April, if you did too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I yes. still see a lot of them. But yeah, and touch is something that's lacking.
3: Yes, and it, and it is a part of almost anybody's definition of intimacy, right? right. Touch, um, a, a level of closeness. So when we have masks on, you know, when we're keeping distance, it's one thing at the store, but hopefully people are finding ways um, to, to, you know, sort of to have their own subcultural experience that differs from the dominant. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question, though. Right. Well, what but
1: are I- some suggestions that, go ahead, Dr. April. No, I was just thinking from what you were saying that maybe even in the sense of your young people, that sometimes if you haven't been touched or kissed, and it's, or, or whatever the case may be, no skin-to-skin contact, mm-hmm. you get to the point where you need it so much, you become desperate, mm-hmm. which leads to sometimes irrational thoughts, mm-hmm. behaviors, actions.
3: Yeah, that's a good point, too, that maybe it pushes people in too far in the other direction. Um, I mean, in general with society, I think pe- we find an equilibrium. I don't think we've found it yet. I don't, but usually we, we do, um, I, you know, history proves itself. If we study the history of social interaction and just of societies, um, usually there's, you know, this is not the first time that we've undergone a radical change. I think of things that were even bigger, like world war II, for example, um, where you know, much of Europe was in chaos and, and starving, literally. So there are lots of times throughout history we've had other epidemics and pandemics. I think we'll find an equilibrium. I think humans just sort of seek that without even knowing it. I don't know what that's gonna look like because this is still ongoing, especially here in Florida. Our numbers are still soaring uh, of COVID infections. Um, I, I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think people will find it, right? Because I think it's just too important and people need it too much, the interaction.
2: How, how can uh, people be open to other forms of intimacy?
3: I think making themselves, I think educating themselves, right? Um, knowing that there isn't just one way of doing everything. Um, I have a discussion with people often about, you know, the idea of free will and choice and things like that. It's difficult to say we have much free will and choice if we don't know what the options are. Right, if we think there's only one way of doing something and we do it automatically. Example I give, um, because occasionally there's like an 18 or 19 year old uh, freshman college student who's resistant to the idea that they might not know everything. So yeah, <clears throat> so I say when you went, first went in an elevator or when you rode the elevator today, at what point do you remember somebody explaining to you the rules for how you ride in that elevator? Well, of course, there's no such thing as that. We know how to ride an elevator how to greet somebody, how to eat based on our culture and watching other people do it. Right. Most, um, most knowledge is implicit, right. We, we're not told how to do it. We walk into an elevator and we're supposed to like kind of look up, right. You're not nothing.
2: supposed to say group hug.
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Especially not right I, I'd like to see that though. I want to, if you plan on doing that, let me record that. I, I have
2: one. done that. Uh, yeah. uh, elevator there at Hodges University and people just look now this was pre this was like five years ago so but I would wonder what it would happen if I say it now I'd get a different response nobody did do a group hug by the way but
3: now I
2: would get a different Different response I would because you see before I was using humor because nobody was talking and now it would be something completely different because we're not
3: we're not right. supposed to hug in elevator we're not supposed to hug and touch and you know smoke cigars and you know instead we're supposed to pretend we're looking at our phones even though there's no reception wink wink <laughs> you know um but but so and and I think that's I think that has to do with also a closed space kind of thing right mm-hmm. that we're close to each other and I think a lot of people don't know how to do that right you know uh this is also gendered to an extent intimacy right so you know, when is it okay in greater U.S. culture for males to touch each other? And I mean, you know, we know it's okay as, as therapists and as individuals. It's okay for any woman. But it's, it seems to be based a lot around sports and contact sports. So you'll see football if you watch it on TV on Sundays, and you'll see men slapping each other on the butt. You don't see it as much in a mall, in a school, in a Right? It'd be be unusual, but it seems to be okay. It's linked to violence. It's linked to the camaraderie of the game, you know, things like that. So uh, why is it not okay in other contexts? Well, in fact, it is, it's just not okay for that individual possibly. But I think that's very interesting when you start bringing things like that up with people um, and noticing that there are times when it's when it is okay or perceived okay. Right.
2: Well, especially for a, like a, you talked about gender. What about, mm. you know, for a, a boy or a man to say, I need a
3: hug. That's a great uh, one.
2: I actually and- had a client once that was ridiculed at school because mm. it, he had asked a girl to snuggle. And he used the word snuggle in a sentence as a teenager. So, uh, boy, did he get ridiculed.
3: Mm-hmm. And, I, and it makes men's life more difficult, I believe. Right, the fact that it's not as perceived as okay. Um, and I, I go back to like childhood, right? So, if you're thinking about how a boy and a girl were comforted, it was a pretty common sight for me to see girls comforted by each other physically, right? A mm-hmm. hug, get literally gathering around her, you know, so physical thing. It's just not that common with a male. If a male says he's hurting or he's crying or he's upset you're generally not going to have a group of men come in and sort of hug him and surround play him.
2: play with his hair. Right.
3: right. Just think even saying that, right, in a classroom, this elicits a lot of laughs, obviously, because, right. yeah, playing with his hair, just holding him, dabbing his tears, you know, it's like.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm so glad I'm a woman. Yeah. <laughs> this must be so hard on guys.
3: What well, and, and we wonder why, right, why some men have this issue with hypermasculinity, you know, uh, where they cover up, right? Because they still get hurt, obviously, they're humans.
1: Right, but But they were told not to express their emotions.
3: Not to express their emotions and not even to ask for that soothing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a gentleman in his upper 60s that I work with and he, you know, I'd asked him when he was a child, who was the person, caregiver who, when he was hurt, whether it's physically or emotionally, you know, took care of him or soothed him or, you know, addressed that. And he burst into tears and he said mm. he never remembers one time anybody doing that. Mm. And so, you know, he has a hard time now reaching out and expressing feelings and, um, and it's unfortunate, you know, because I think society would be healthier, right? If more people could reach out for help, if more people were attuned to these differences, with regard to the way we do things, Um, whether it's intimacy or whether it's reaching out, because there is a level of intimacy, I think, in reaching out to somebody and wanting to and then getting that support, right?
1: Right, right, right. And I was just even thinking, and this is a a global thing, Mm -hmm. but even in the sense um, of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it's not um, a Florida pandemic. It's not a United States pandemic. It is a global pandemic. And... um, I know most of the countries are led by men, which is okay, but we're not taking a global approach or asking for help as Mm. you're. And so I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if part of that is because of what you just said Mm. in the sense of, you know, growing up that, yeah, men were taught not to ask for help and to, yeah, because if we looked at it more as a global, Mm. instead of each country in their own budget and whatever case maybe that's a, know, that's that's a great a no that's
3: an interesting point and that gets to why you know like your perspective is different than mine even though I'm obviously very open to these kinds of things like I didn't even think of that exact thing that you just thought of but yes I do think that plays a role because you know my political science background I'm pretty well versed on international relations theory and basically the prevailing theories are like you know we're in a free for all, you know, in the world and we have to only do for ourselves and all that. That's, Yeah, that's a pretty aggressive, you know, sort of mentality. And like you said, you know, everybody wanted to blame another, each other's countries. Right. Right. So it's China's responsible. Well, half the world's blaming the United States right. for not taking up precautions.
2: <laughs> and then people yeah. within the United States are blaming Florida and then they're blaming <laughs> spring break. I mean, it
1: just can be completely distilled. Right. Yes. If we only had more intimacy.
3: And cooperation. So, and that gets back to the, the, the intimacy, the connection. I think a lot of it is based on fear. I'd like to hear what you two think, but I think just intimacy period, whether it's standing in an elevator when Dr. Kelly, you say, let's group hug and everyone is probably terrified, right. And looking down even further like this, um, you know, I think it scares people. I think that openness, right, to be open, we have to be, you know, somewhat confident. We have to be maybe not scared to be open to another person's ways of doing things. What do you all think about it?
2: You know, yeah, I think some, that's some people actually think uh, that cu- intimacy is more about affection, but also we can look at cultural intimacy from language and communication. Because what about people that well, we can't touch now and you know, the way that we used to or or as freely, you know, Mm -hmm. but how can we connect with people through communication? What are some suggestions that either of you, Michael, what would you suggest how somebody could have cultural intimacy through communication?
3: Yeah, I think, I think I've done that. I think we've probably all have done that. And, you know, in the work that we do, and that is by you know, sort of using warmer words, right? There's like cold words, warm words, or judgmental words, Um, using more welcoming words, right? I've noticed a little more exaggeration with body movement, maybe even, right? You know, um, because I, you know, I can't touch the person and hand them drinks and such. Um, So maybe there's a little more of that. Maybe they're even, you know, even the talking about the discomfort. I've done that as well, bringing that up. Right? Whereas before, it's more perfunctory. It's more automatic where we just kind of do our sort of motions and we come and sit down and we go to it. So I think, you know, I think that demonstrates in and of itself a level of openness and intimacy. I mean, we come from professions where we're sort of required to be more open than probably typical. But I think that helps, too, because it lets other people know that we, too, are trying to figure this out. We don't have all the answers to how to do everything. Um, we're learning. So I think letting other people know that, and I did, there was a few times I was like, well, I'm not sure what to do. And I told the person that, right. It lets them be part of the process. It shows them that I too, am not hundred percent sure about how to, how to move forward with this. Um, and it does come out too. And, and, you know, I had a lot of people who were resistant to doing teletherapy and uh, I had somebody explicitly say that they really didn't think it was going to help them the same as it would be in person. And so those are things we didn't need to address before, right? Because for a while, it's, that's all I did. And I know some people are still only doing that. So I think to your point, I think it's a great point, Dr. Kelly, that talking about it is the way that I, I cope with that. And the tool that I use is literally just putting it out there.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that's also when you talked about fear, it's also like you were saying, being open, that vulnerability, you know, that, yeah. hey, I don't have it all together. So we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna get take questions from the audience and talk about vulnerability and intimacy and how we can strengthen the bond of connections as we move forward to 2021 and hopefully a better 2022. We'll be back in a moment. If you're listening, you have a pulse. If you have a pulse, you have stress. If you have stress, you should get a therapist. How do you find a therapist? You go online, type in, therapist near me. Then you find a list of letters.
2: LMHC,
1: LPC, NCC. Ugh, how can you navigate and understand
0: all this? Go to drkellyboucher.com. Dr. Kelly specializes in supporting people who suffer from stress, anxiety, burnout, and more. You can have help today. drkellyboucher.com.
1: back to the Bring In Intimacy show where intimacy is real. We've been talking with Michael O'Brien and Dr. Kelly Boucher about cultural intimacy. Dr. Kelly, do you have any questions from the audience? I do actually.
2: I have Amber from Connecticut has a question about doesn't say which culture but says um, I'm dating somebody from a vastly different culture. Can you help me understand how to communicate? Mm. So that's to infer that uh, you're having a difficult time communicating, I'm sure. Yes. It'd be yes. interesting to know which culture. What would you recommend, Michael?
3: Well, asking asking about these things. I think a great question to ask somebody is what intimacy means to them, right? It is going to be different. For some people, it's going to be more physical, um, for some people it's going to be you know more about emotional connection you know it may be a mix it's going to differ from subgroup to subgroup for example there might be differences with regard to males and females with regard to what ethnic group you're from religion you know it's going to be a big one um, so I think I think you know asking somebody about these things is the easiest way to go I'll well, have people on my you know when I have couples in and sometimes I'll have one person sort of asking me the questions about their partner. Why does so-and-so do this? Why does he or she do this? I don't understand it. And I'll gently suggest that they ask the person sitting next to them. <laughs> you know, it's more important to ask them than me. Right? So the communication part, um, asking them their preferred way of, of communicating love, you know, what's your love languages. I think sometimes doing these assessments, even though, even though they're not all like sort of scientific, can be helpful as well, right? So doing an assessment about what your love language is. Um, but definitely just the open communication about asking them and, and also observing them in the context of their cultural background, I think helps a lot, right? How do they interact with family, with friends, so that we can sort of, you know, be open to their way of doing things.
2: And observe, I would say, Amber, observe how they interact with their family and how they communicate with their family. Mm-hmm. See communication is so important for intimacy. In fact, I say try to withhold now correct this is this is what I say for dating. I used to say to teenagers, you know try to hold off kissing as long as you can so that you can become you know more intimate and they're like what I'm like, well, it's hard to communicate with somebody's tongue in your mouth right So the communication stops when the physical begins sometimes so make sure you have a healthy balance with that
1: do you have any questions dr april from i was i was just gonna say um on the end of that question it's also understanding how a culture deals with conflict because i was thinking like in some cultures if there's a problem we discuss it right then and there who cares what who's around or what's saying Mm -hmm. In others it's like oh my gosh i don't want so-and-so to know you know well we have to wait till we get home um which happens a lot and communication Yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we see and you know, right, we'll hear, we'll hear this and see this in their explanations of how their conflict happens. And then we'll hear, you know, I'll ask how well, let's see how when you were a child, who was a disciplinarian or something like that. And it'll start getting pretty clear about why they have these differences, because we'll hear like, well, this, you know, my husband um, walks away and doesn't want to talk about it. And I want to solve it right then and there what's wrong with him or vice versa. It's just that they're doing it differently. So if there was a mutual understanding, maybe things would go better. And I like your point, Dr. Kelly, about that. Right. So, you know, going to something physical very quickly can often be avoidance, I think, right? Avoidance of having to figure those things out.
1: Yeah. So I do have a question. Um, it's from Joe. From, I'm actually from Florida. And he's saying that different people come moving into this country. They should really adopt to the American culture. I don't understand why we would tolerate all these different cultures.
3: Can I answer to that? Yes, you you can. can. Um, So there's there's no one thing, so there's no such thing as American culture. There sort of is and sort of isn't, right? We're back to that dominant and not dominant. There definitely is no one American culture. What is it? Point to it me what it is right is it eating tacos because there's taco places now everywhere and we live in a place naples where there are really expensive taco places oh yeah yeah (laughs) um so is that american culture or is it the hamburger place you know so you know so the beginning point is a little bit you know needs to be a little bit teased out and the fact that there is no one american culture there are many 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 subcultures and there always have been in america um, yes, there tends to be one sort of dominant way of doing things. Um, I think it's healthy for both parties to meet each other where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're, what we call cultural infusion, where things sort of are mixed. I think that's the only possible way for, for a society to function healthily, or an individual or a couple, right, to adopt some of each other's ways of doing And we do this. This is why we have, like, Tex-Mex food. We want to get really literal, right? Literally the mixing of cultures. It's not quite Mexican. It's not quite American. It's a mix. This is a common thing. It's not new and it's been going on for forever.
1: Yeah, I was going to say um, on that point, I, I remember back in the day, they used to teach us about a melting pot.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, it went into more of a salad. Where do you stand on that?
3: Yeah, because a mel- right. So I think a melting pot is very flawed because it makes it it makes it um, sound like everything, you know, literally melts into each other, which is not the case. Right. It's not mm-hmm. the case. Um, you know, take the fist bump, for example. I remember when Barack Obama was president and he occasionally fist bumped people. And I remember there was a lot of people um, on the Web that didn't like that. Well, it's just a different way. Right. It's it's maybe not, you know, I'm sure he shook hands with some people, but with some people it was a fist bump in my own private life with friends and people I train in martial arts with and such. We're fist bumping. We're not shaking hands. And we always did. So there's no one way of doing anything and we don't melt into stuff. We're, we're these differences. We're vegetables chopped up. Right. Our pieces are in whole and we're in the same bowl but that doesn't mean we have to take on all the characteristics of the other person. And I think that's a very damaging thing too. No one is saying that you have to become like the people that are coming in or the other group, but perhaps just being open to being okay with their way of doing it. So like, you know, to use your salad metaphor, the green pepper is maybe not interfering with the lettuce and eating the two together is probably tastes better. If (laughs) you see where my head's at, I'm getting hungry, but you know, it, it tastes better when the, when the, when the flavors, you know, are sitting together. But yeah, I think it's very flawed to think that everything sort of just melts into one thing. Cause it, it really isn't true.
2: What I would say too, also to um, individuals like Joe as the question or the, the thought, like saying, you know, I really think that, I, you know, how should I be expected to tolerate all these different cultures? I live in America. I'd be like, Joe, just don't date somebody from a different culture. And then guess what, Joe, you're going to be very lonely for a very long time because we all have a different culture, even within our same, like I'm in Northern Michigan right now. So, I mean, it's like 2%. Like I was 14 2% years what? old. 2% uh, it's all white. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. 2% is a different culture where yeah. I live, you know, and I went from Florida to Northeast Michigan. So it's kind of like, but even within that, there are so many different cultures. So it's really not about ethnicity or race. It is about culture. So Joe, you're really going to be up a crick if you do not, um, handle the fact that this is a personal thing and it's really, you can have intimacy with individuals and, um, and it's a lonely life if you don't figure out how it's not about tolerating, it's about celebrating.
3: Mm. Yeah. And, and also, I was thinking, are you there uh, from there originally, Dr. Kelly? you yeah, from Michigan? Yes, I am. Yep. Okay. So similar neck of the woods to, you know, Chicago, Northern Illinois. I mean, oh, it's, Right. Yeah. 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 So um, we can also look at this over time. I mean, that's the other thing in, in teaching, you know, sort of to Joe's question. Um, these things have changed radically over time. They differ from place to place. So that's a great point. Right. So And I was talking about that, about my Chicago versus Miami, but they've also differed drastically over time. What was seen as okay for people to do and what was considered intimate? Um, uh, I saw a picture recently of um, people on the beach in the 1800s and the women like showing their ankles being very, uh, you know, out there and sexual showing their ankles, right? Yes. (laughs) Being very saucy, right? Yes. Well, you know, if you live in South Florida, you see more than that. Right. So it's, it's a different time. Right. Yes. So it's not the case that this is a static thing, that this culture is static. It changes drastically over time. And sexuality, and intimacy for sure has changed over time. Right. We think of Victorian as covering everything up. Right. When people and sociologists look at um, cultures through time, Victorian times, it was about covering up everything. Long dresses, multiple layers of stuff. Um Now, not so much. So at what point are we using that sort of, this is our culture thing? Um, It differs from 50 years ago to now, and it's going to be different in another 20 to 50 years, to your point. And if we don't acclimate to these differences, we get left behind a little bit.
2: That's true. I admire you for asking that question, Joe, because that's very direct communication, and I respect that.
1: And, and it is good for us to ask these questions for sure. Definitely. Thank you, Michael, so much for being on the show. Thank yes. you ladies.
3: It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah. So if people are out there listening, how can they connect with you? Um, and also tell us a little bit about this mindfulness that.
3: Yeah. So I've been practicing mindfulness for a very long time, 15, 20 years. Um, I got to see the Dalai Lama in person and, um, and so basically, you know, what, one of the things I like about it coming from a culture where, you know, do it yourself is, especially for you know, males, um, this is something you can just sort of do on your own, find a breathing exercise, right. Um, breathe, breathe slowly. We can always control our breath. We can't control all these things we're talking about, right? We can't control what's going to happen with COVID what's going on in the world. We can always control our breath. Um, If you want to reach out, my my business line is 239-330-7883. I I hold office and telehealth appointments. Um, Office is in Naples in the French Quarter. Um, And basically, the idea of mindfulness is to be aware of what we're doing and what we're experiencing and then letting go. So this very much applies to the topic we're talking about because... Uh, we don't have to like the way the other person does things, right? So if I prefer and I feel more comfortable with shaking hands, it's okay that I don't like and prefer the other ways. It just means not judging them based on the way I do it. It's a very different thing. So it's being aware and then simply letting go of it. Okay, so you do it differently. That's okay. It's very non-judgmental. I think it gets us out of that trap of like, which way do we go with it? Do we go with my way or do we go with your way? Well, that's a very, you know, sort of assertive, aggressive way of looking at it. We don't have to do it that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was just thinking, because uh, Michael, you and I have talked and I know mm-hmm. that um, you've experienced some racial injustice. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you shared something that happened in Naples. And I was just thinking, you know what, how you um, dealt with that of the police. hmm. It's a lot of it's because of your practice of mindfulness.
3: For sure. Actually. Yeah. Yes. And you know what
1: instant I'm talking about. I do.
3: I do. And you know, I, I do have a very, I developed a good ability. I didn't always have it. And that's the one thing I tell my clients, people, you know, sort of look at you now and say, well, you have this all figured out. Well, I mean, you know, I've been through some stuff to get where I've gotten. (laughs) And it's the result of years of practice. And the fact that I do these things regularly, but I, I'm able to stay in the moment and and sort of really keep aware of what's going on for me as I'm doing things. Um, that helps in all facets. It helps with stressful interactions like the one you're talking about. It helps when I teach. Um, mm-hmm. So in a, in a variety of contexts, it's useful for pretty much everything. Um, so I'm like such a huge proponent that you know it's improved my life on a personal level. But for sure, in these stressful situations um, where know we're not in control because that's inevitably what the feeling is it's a loss of control so you know sort of the police lights get thrown thrown on and we see them everybody gets a little bit nervous when that happens i believe you know i've I've asked people i've asked classes and everybody gets nervous Mm
0: -hmm. but um
3: we yeah we need to stay present we need to be aware of what we're experiencing and what we're feeling um in order to be able to be our best self because in the end, that's, I know what all three of us want, right? We want people to be their best selves. And I think that helps.
2: And I, I think that most people really do want to be better and have, you know, uh, be kinder and mm-hmm. have a better self. And, and certainly no surprise that we have like podcasts going out the roof, like people are educating themselves and learning. And, and so um, thank you so much for that, Michael. You're welcome. And speaking about podcasts going through the roof, congratulations, Dr. April, on the Bringing Intimacy Back Show, which many of you know or may not know that it's in its 11th year. So, the first 10, you know, over a decade of doing this. And you're in the top 200 for Apple Podcasts on relationships here at the Bringing Intimacy Back Show. Congratulations on that. So, for those Thank of you, you, you that are year, oh, well, you're welcome. Uh, so, uh, subscribe. So, Subscribe to the Bringing Intimacy Back show on your favorite podcast, whether it's Apple or whatever other player you're listening to. Subscribe, uh, follow us on Instagram, of course, Facebook, and YouTube. And also, you can write a write a review on iTunes if you're listening on iTunes. Our upcoming shows are Linging Your Retirement Foundation with Jim Magadon's next week. Nikki Nash Unlocking Your Genius. That sounds so cool. That's like IQ is sexy, isn't it? Sitting with God. I went from saying sexy to God in the same <laughs> September 30th with Rich Lewis, uh, sitting with God. You know, be still and know that He is God. October 7th is Jorge and Denise Suarez, A Fair Recovery. I'm so interested in that. So thanks so much for listening. It's
1: been great spending time with you, Michael O'Brien. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Michael, again. And thank you, Dr. Kelly. You guys are. Welcome back. Of course, Michael, anytime. Yes. And this has been the Bringing Intimacy Show where intimacy is real. See you guys next week. Bye. See you
2: then. Bye.